Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours once again. Today's guest is um, a bit of a legend and was a label mate of mine on Virgin Records in the early 80s. His name is uh, Andy Partridge and uh, his band, of course, was called XTC, who were real kind of guitar-driven pioneers, I suppose. And I have to say that he is one of the funniest people I've ever interviewed. This had me in stitches, most of this interview, but just an amazing character. And I haven't seen him since back in those days, so what a joy it was to reconnect with him. Uh, in fact, we had so much fun, uh, I didn't get through, like, more than about 25% of the notes that I got here. This is, you can enjoy this. Here he is, Andy Partridge. So tell us about growing up where you grew up. Well, I was a, um, I was a, hang on a second. Can I have a bit of quiet? Jesus. Um, yeah, I was, uh, uh, I was a, uh, a Navy baby. I was, um, right. apparently it was my dad's birthday. He was stationed down in Pompey and my mum said to him, uh, you can either have a new pair of pajamas or the other. And thank God he, he had the other. Uh, but I popped out in Malta. He got stationed in Malta. So right. I lived the first few years of my life in Malta. Uh, spoke Maltese before I spoke English, apparently. Get away. Yeah, apparently so. And because uh, I had a Maltese nanny. I've no idea why I had a Maltese nanny, because my mum never had a job, as far as I knew. So why she wasn't looking after me, who knows? You know, not one of life's natural mothers, I guess. But um, yeah, came back to to Swindon, which is where they're from. Right. And uh, yeah, we we moved into a a brand new council house. Oh God, that was a big deal, wasn't it? I remember when we we moved out of a two two down house in Sheffield. Uh, you know, like that didn't get bombed in the war, thank God. But uh, and then we moved into a council house, and it was like. My God, it was like moving into a five-star hotel. For yeah, it. it was. It was. It was pretty palatial. And uh, I remember my parents, my mother especially, you know, super house proud. She had to She had to have all of the latest kind of – she'd go through all these magazines and it would be like uh, – what was one of the things she had? A bamboo room divider. And what it was <laughs> – Basically, a long trough with with fake dirt in it. It was like paper mache dirt. Oh, plastic flowers stuck in it. Oh, and then there wow. was long things of bamboo going up to to a bar near the ceiling. Uh, that and you'd get like um, there'd be in every corner there'd be a waste bin, uh, a metal waste bin because they'd be free with with detergent, you know. <laughs> so. But, but she was so sort of psychotic about about spoiling anything that um, if I threw any waste in the waste bin, she'd do like this amazing kind of dive and, and catch it before it got there. So, yeah, she was she was. Oh, Andy, yeah. Do you know what? I just felt a big kind of warm glow then for like uh, the times you know we bumped into each other at Virgin and and how. 
I don't know. Those times were great, aren't they? Anyway, um, so it was a it was a council house upbringing. We didn't have beetle wallpaper, which my mate from Liverpool, Harry Butterworth, his house, his family had beetle wallpaper. Beetles wallpaper. Wow. Yeah, over o- only over the fire, only over the mantelpiece. Very tasteful. You know, you have it on the chimney breast. Wow. Uh, and I think it was pale blue, and then there were about every six inches or so, there were little drawings of the Beatles on stage. So it must have been about 64, that sort of... We have to get... I have to go on eBay and find that shit because that sounds that sounds like, um, you know, they do those interior design programmes on the... T- <laughs> and yeah. they're always trying to find rare... Kind yes. Of, well, oh, but it's, it's, be... got, it's got to be very tasteful only over the mantle. Yeah, only, only over the mantle. Yeah, yeah. What do yeah. they call it? They call it a uh, feature wall, don't they? That's what they feature call it. Feature wall. There you go. So it was John Paul George uh, at Bingo, uh, f- a feature wall. So great. <laughs> yeah, I was dead envious. I wanted some. You know, brilliant. Uh, that's a good story, actually. I must say. So um, we were both council estate kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, people say they'd say, "Don't you, don't you miss? Wasn't it a rough upbringing? Don't you miss blah blah blah?" No, that no. was normality. It was completely normal. I, yeah. uh, to me, posh was not even on the radar to be attainable. So it was just like, "This is this is these are the cards that have been dealt." It's great. I had a great time, personally. Yeah, I mean, I when I was at, I went to Swindon College for a while uh, because I had an ability with, you know, painting and drawing and that kind of thing. I could do art with a capital F. Um, <laughs> but I remember one of these students invited me up to. Uh, she had a, a like a, a flat in a basement in the old town of Swindon, and I'd never been up to the old town, and I, I've honestly felt like I'd gone to a different country. Yeah, yeah. All posh houses that had basements. Wow, what's a basement? You know. Yeah, I was just impressed with with a, a bathroom, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well. And an inside toilet. Yeah, well, my granny, uh, who yeah. lived about five miles away, she had an outside toilet. Yeah, we had, we, we had an outside toilet when I was growing Yeah, yeah she had an outside. Be, not to be recommended in, in winter, I have to say. No, no, um, definitely not. But no, she um, had an outside toilet. We, we had, because it was council house, we had an inside one. And there was a house over the road that they didn't use their bath. They they kept it filled with coal. Right. Okay. Um, Why waste this big space? Fill it with coal. I remember my dad used to work as a toolmaker in um, in Sheffield, and uh, we didn't have a bathroom. I mean, we had a tin bath, but I never saw anybody take a bath in our house. And, but they used to go to, just down the road, there was what they called a slipper baths, which is basically used to go down there and, and you know, they'd have a bath and, and clean up and everything and do that once a week. Because, you know, you work in, in a steelworks with metal dust and all that stuff. I mean, it just gets into your skin. It's like mining, you know. Yeah, see, that was the, the equivalent in Swindon was the Great Western. Yeah. So... Yeah. um. 
And I, I remember going talking about this thing, the slipper bass. I don't know why are they called slipper bass. It's really interesting. Anyway, um, did you I, did you have if you had a bath at home? Did you have to wait for the other the the family to bath first? We never did that. Um, I, I as far as I remember, because I mean oh, I'm talking about when we were really young in in the in in our original house, which we I moved when we were like six. But we had, oh, God. I mean, it was kettles. Yeah. It boiled kettles. Yeah. Or, or I remember bathing in the kitchen sink. Yeah, and the kitchen sink when I was really yeah. tired. Yeah. Fucking hell, kitchen, kitchen sink. They won't bloody room. believe it, would they? <laughs> it was the kitchen sink, and then I progressed to, well, I suppose you can have the bath, but my dad have to have it first, uh, and then my mum had it. And then I could get in what was, you know, I could push the scum away and climb it. And you were only allowed one bath a week because that cost money in the meter, you know. You know, and the coal and the... Yeah, exactly. But there was one, it was was like a... uh, Oh, Christ, it's now flooding back. It's like a, a ritual where you... You had school on Monday morning, and my mother always did the ironing on Sunday evening, and it was the smell of the ironing, and oh, it, yeah. was, it was the sound of the accordion, the six accordion notes that introduced Sing Something Simple on the radio. Oh, for fuck's sake. Now, now right. It was, okay. hang on. Da, 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 sing something, something simple. Oh, Jesus. I oh, mean, I those six that. accordion notes with the smell of oh, the ironing. Oh my God! I dreaded yeah. that program coming. Yeah. It's yeah. after pick of the pops, wasn't it? But yes, uh, so it was like that was doom. You okay? It's bath, third generation bath, and <laughs> school Monday morning. And if you had one of the dreaded teachers, that was like double, triple peril. Wow. Yeah, our Sunday evenings were just terrible, weren't they? God. Yeah. The best Simple thing was like traumatized me when I was a kid. It was the most depressing (laughs) programme. It was. (laughs) The benefit of Sunday evening is sometimes you could come down and watch, what was that thing called Sunday night at the London Palladium? Oh, yeah, that was fun. And you could see the Rolling Stones misbehaving. And no, we're not going to go on the roundabout, you know. Um, Uh, But before then, they'd sometimes have a a travelogue programme. Yes. You'd get to see naked natives. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. But um, anything naked, really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, At that time. Oh, God, you got me thinking. There was, like, do you remember um, the first series? Frank Finley, Casanova. There was loads of nakedness in that. Oh, there was, yeah. yeah well, I was that was a big influence on me. Yeah. Uh, like in my nascent, uh, <laughs> in my nascent sexuality. Yeah. Um, oh, I did, but you couldn't be a, a smutty magazine in the bushes with cigarette burns in the nipples. Why? Why did they do that? I don't yeah, know. You know, builders. I've never, are... never seen that. Maybe that's a Swindon thing. I'm not really sure. About <clears throat> I used to think, does one? You know, you take your fag, okay, and what you stub it out in their nipples? Is I that like some kind of masculine like a, kind of? I think it's a mis- misogynistic thing. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. 
It's uh, like, either that or they'd wipe their ass on the magazine. You'd, oh, find, it in the bushes. <laughs> you'd find it in the bushes over the field. And if, if it wasn't if it wasn't wiped on and it didn't have the cigarette burns in the nipples, oh, that was a great God. day. You'd find oh, something worthy of looking at, you know. All right, let's get into this then. So let's get cultural. Yeah, let's get cultural. So um, no, I meant let's get into jazz mags. Um, Parade magazine was. Oh yeah. That now that was the cheapest. That people need to know this stuff. It's very important. That was the cheapest. That was the lowest. Uh, porn magazine you could get. It's very soft. I think it was. Yeah. But it was like housewives, kind of bent over. Yeah, what, what, was, what, was the, what was the one that did Reader's Wives? I think that might have been it. Because I know when we were doing the Big Express album, we somebody gave us a huge pile of smutty mags. Ah. And we went through and we cut out the worst Reader's Wives from each edition. Oh, that, was, sure that was Parade, actually. Yeah. yeah, and we made a wall of the worst. Oh, my God. And then at the end of doing the album, we awarded the worst of the worst to a woman that, to be honest, she looked like Les Dawson naked. <laughs> and she, and it was, the headline was, the headline, <laughs> the headline was Van-tastic because it was photographed in the corner of their caravan, Right. And she she was naked, and she had one she had one leg up on this glass corner display unit that had airfix kits on it. You know where you get like a, a dogfight doubles or whatever on plastic stands. They were all these airfix kits, and she had a leg up on this shelf, oh. and it was headlined fantastic. Oh my god! Yeah, that was the that, that one. The, yeah, that was the lowest of the low. Um, I'll tell you what, those magazines have left me with a genuine nostalgic love of the photographer Harrison Marks, George Harrison Marks. Okay. If you look for his stuff on uh, on um, uh, Google, Google Images, yeah. whatever, there's a site that's got a lot of his stuff up there. And it's all very, you know, ladies of a certain era, uh, no pubes allowed because that that was how they skirted the law. You couldn't show. Although pubes. At, that, at that point, the pubes did actually go up to the navel. They, they were hair pants, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, uh, uh, we're talking late fifties, early sixties. It was no pubes allowed, <laughs> so it was all shaved and then airbrushed out. But I tell you, yeah, anything George Harrison marks. He made some some films as well. Okay, uh, before we leave this subject. Uh, health and efficiency magazine. Yes. Come on, boom. Oh, come on. Was that the nudist one? Yeah. That was the yeah. official nudist uh, fan mag. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Official nudist jazz mag. Jazz yeah. mag, yeah. And um, it was a bit hit and miss, was it? Because some of them were. The most erotic part of it was the kind of ones that were a little bit coy. And kind yeah. of like, oh, I don't normally do this, but and then, but then there were some really grim, yes, nude shots of men yeah. and women, yeah, and oh, and what was this thing about they had to be playing tennis or volleyball or? Well, because it showed that they weren't just showing off their bodies, 
that that it was oh. just they wanted to be free within the context of sporting activities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember any photograph <laughs> doing doing. Uh, um, uh, well, what was that? The the twister or? Um, oh no, they're not going to be doing twister. No, no. that would have been a mistake. Actually, my dad had two naughty magazines that I ever found. Um, he had a health and efficiency. Right. That was very. That was very dull. I thought. Oh. No. By the way, it's such a great title, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, the title is perfect. It's, it's very nasty, nasty song, isn't actually. Isn't it rather Nazi? Don't you think? Yeah, it is a bit efficiency. kind of friends through joy, yeah. Yeah, it's very... What's the efficiency bit? Your efficiency... It's because you'd be building up your muscles and you'd be becoming more economically productive, as the Tories would say nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, he had a... <clears throat> he had a... Lots of pollen here. Uh, he had a health and efficiency, and then under that, he had a Harrison Marks uh, one, and it was all... Uh, very naked, very buxom ladies on some French beach somewhere, and that uh, that usually did the trick. That's, uh, that definitely did the trick. Yeah, that kind of yeah. mind you. At that age, I think just about anything did the trick. Really. Uh, well, did you used to do this? I just remembered something. My mum used to get Revalley magazine. Oh yes. And it was all it was always ladies in bikinis and stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I used to. With some blank paper, I cut out pants and bra out of this blank paper, and then I'd sketch the missing bits on top of the blank paper. That is genius. Well, you've got to make your own entertainment. Now that's a, that. I think that's art. I don't think that's entertainment. It, high yeah. art. That's high art. Well, it's like it's kind of like. Uh, you know, it's who's the montage artist? It's like that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it'd be called you made an entire living out of that. Be, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, lay them on an unmade bed. You, you, you got and it. There you go. There you yeah. go. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, come yeah. on, you're as bad as me. You used to wait for that catalogue to come through the door. Oh, the catalogues. Now, yeah. catalogues. Favourite pages, please. Yeah. Well, it's a lingerie, wasn't it? Obviously. Uh, ah, not only lingerie. Didn't you used to go for the shower curtains and shower doors as well, that you could see through them? Oh, I think we're, we're entering a new realm of perversion here. This is quite good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the other one, if if there was, if the underwear wasn't so great and the shower curtains and shower doors weren't so revealing, <laughs> it'd be it'd be the woman sat on the bed patting the bed as if to say... Come and sit with me here. Yes. And of course, and then all your naughty auntie fantasies would be. Come hither. This, yeah. is, this is top quality podcast stuff. I have to uh, say. Absolutely. <laughs> Deep smut. We should do a. Oh my God. Sorry, a, I've, I've got you. We should do a smut podcast. <laughs> I've got you off the beat. Anyway, I, I just love the word smut, by the way. I oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Smut. It's just yeah. perfect. Oh, it's very Mary Whitehouse, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's real bonfires of mags, isn't it? This is smut. This is smut, yeah. And then, of course, you know, like. You've got all the uh, news of the world stuff. Oh, anyway, let's not go there. Right, okay. let's move on to music. Um, although it won't be as much fun as that. No, that, that the was, dull stuff. This this will be. I, but I, I mentioned to you now. I'm going to be doing a. Uh, I'm planning to do a, a touring show, 
featuring clips from the podcast uh, with lots of different voices in three-dimensional sound next year. And I think some of this is going to make the cut, definitely. <laughs> oh, no, what a bad bid for oh, immortality. No, it's, funny. it's funny, anyway. All right, um, so tell us about the pre, pre-Virgin musical times. Um, right. How that evolved. Okay, so, so a quick a quick look at the TARDIS windows we fly over. Yeah. <clears throat> um, w- wanted to be in a group. I, I was getting bored with the idea of being a graphic designer because that's what I was supposed to be, graphic de- designer or, at worst, fine artist, you know. I, I, my alternative career, looking back now, uh, I was never any good at art, unfortunately, so I wouldn't have made it, but... I always wanted to be a graphic designer. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I I went to Swindon College, to the top floor of which was, you know, all pop stars are supposed to go to art school, but I yeah. just went to art floor because it was just the top floor. Right. <clears throat> so I went and did that sort of thing there, and I thought, no, nah, I'm not really liking this. Then I had a few crappy jobs, and, and in the meantime, I discovered the joy of guitar because uh, I used to carry – my dad had an, an acoustic guitar, and I'd carry it to school. Right literally just have it on a pyjama cord around my neck, you know. Oh, right. I couldn't play it, you know. It, it was just um, an ordinary dar to attract oh, the girls, nice. you know. And they'd come up and stroke it like it was a pony. <coughs> they'd come up remove and... the guitar. Yeah. Anyway, so... Yeah, but they, they'd stroke this this old Dutch acoustic guitar, Egmond or whatever it was. They'd stroke this thing like it was some sort of little miniature pony I'd brought into the playground. And I thought, this is great. All the girls are coming. So it must be the power of the guitar. And then, of course, you know, you you get to see Hard Day's Night and Help, and then the monkeys are on the telly, and then it's Top of the Pops every week, you know. And I thought, I can do that. I can I can definitely do that. When was the moment you decided that you could do that? What Was there a specific moment? No, it was a series of lots of little moments. It was watching Hard Day's Night in the cinema in my shorts and duffel coat. And uh, what age would I have been? Ten? And and I'm I'm thinking, they've got loads of girls chasing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do what they can do. I can have that effect. You know, it's absolutely rational thinking, as yeah. Well, and then it gets compounded by the monkeys. Oh, same thing, they all live in one house, you know, they all get on great, they have nice music, they all look good. Da, da, da. I can, I'm sure, I can do that. Then I had a girlfriend who had a mad crush on Peter Tork of the monkeys, so it was like right. trying to get hair to go like his when I had something to play with, and I uh, got begged my mum to order from her cataloger a monkey's shirt with a double-breasted panel. Wow. So had some hipsters with a big white yeah. belt, yeah. double-breasted yeah. shirt. Yeah. I thought it was the bee's knees, you know. And then uh, I learned to play guitar a little bit. And uh, Did you have, the... you have proper lessons? No, nothing. No, my dad showed me two or three chords, and I just used to try and pick up what I could by listening to the radio or... Right. You know, I had a tape recorder quite early on because um, I couldn't afford buying records, so I used to tape off the radio. Everybody did it. That Everybody thing. did that, yeah. I mean, that thing is a cliche, but, you know, 
It's this thing of waiting for the fade out on the record so you didn't get Alan Freeman's voice. Yeah, end. yes. Just, just cut it's it. Like, really, it's like, how long could you leave it? Yeah, 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 definitely. But um, so uh, so that all sort of added up and added up and added up. And then uh, when I got to when I got to Swindon College, there were some people in there who say, yeah, do you want to be in a band? So and it was the British blues boom. And I was just not good enough a player, but I could kind of muddle through, you know. I'd get my hands caught in the wires and then, you know, get them out, and that was called a solo, you know. Right, right, right. And uh, I remember the first gig we got was in a local ballroom that had bands on every, um, every uh, once a week they had new bands on. And we got one song, and these skinheads were chucking pennies at us, and they nice. really hurt. Old pennies, they were massive. I remember, they were big. You know. It was like metal kind of uh, frisbees coming over. Yeah, 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 no. Oh, shit. I I remember all that shit, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So so we got chucked off after one number, begged to come back (laughs) on for one more number, got halfway through and they pulled the plug on us. So that was my intro to the to the world of of perform pop performing, and then drip 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 drip. You know, as the years went on, uh, couldn't really get arrested. Uh, and then we saved up, made some demo tapes, posted one to John Peel. He I liked it. it. Posted one to John Peel. He liked it. Said, "Come and do a session." Oh, wow! <laughs> couldn't get arrested. Couldn't no no label was interested. John you know, Peel. He was the man, wasn't he? And exactly. So he said, "I really like this. Come and do a session." Made a veil, you know. And what was on it? What were were there any f- songs that made it to your first album on the? Uh, I think Statue of Liberty, a version of that, might have been on there. Right. Which was just me trying to rewrite a Lou Reed song, I think. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the chord C G A minor G. <laughs> you know, it was it was pretty primitive stuff, but. Um, is it yeah, so he said, that, he said, has that ever emerged that John Peel session? I mean, is that perceived? Uh some of them did. Uh and I know we're planning to scoop them all up and do something. Oh, you with. should do because yeah, yeah. you know, you he, he gave us the, uh, the kind of birth of all that period of well, no nobody was was interested in us, and suddenly John Peel gave us a session, and everybody literally record labels were clamoring, they'd come to shows. And I remember some fights at some shows between labels. Island would turn up and Harvest would turn up and Virgin would turn up and the three of them would be fighting. You know, we saw them first. No, you didn't. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sign with us. No, they're fucking not. They're <clears> signing <throat> with us, you know. And uh, so why did you, tell you how reason, did you end up signing with Virgin then? Well, the reason we didn't sign with Harvest, I think was because the A&R man from Harvest was getting a bit drunk at one of our gigs and he insulted our manager's wife. <laughs> oh, that's not a good idea, is it? But Yeah, she's perfectly insultable, though. Right, fair enough. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, good on you, mate. You know, it's my go next, you know. <laughs> but uh, he and so he's like, right, well, you chaps won't be, because he had one of those sort of voices. Oh, right. You chaps won't be signing to uh, to Harvest and... And then it wasn't, you know, no, you won't be signing to Ireland because this, that, and the other. And then it was like, well, uh, who else is left? So, uh, well, Virgin wants us. Okay, we'll go with Virgin then, you know. I think Virgin were a good choice, though. How did you get to end up with Virgin? Uh, well, um, we, same thing. We got on John Peel. 
because we were on fast records, you know, the indie, indie label. <clears throat> that that sold like five thousand copies because we got on John Peel, and um, they they were sniffing around because they got all that money that had come in from, you know, tubular bells and all that stuff. They had to kind of spend it or yeah. tax on it. So um, they signed. Uh, we we were being courted by about six labels actually, and um, but we didn't like any of the main labels like EMI. And, you know, the kind of corporate ones. They just didn't feel right. And we'd actually been down to London a couple of years before with a previous band that was a joke, really, called The Future. And, uh, I mean, just just like kind of avant-garde soundscapes with, like, muttering over the top, you know. It was, but we great. They put fucking Faust out. I mean, maybe they oh. put it out. One of my favourite albums, the Face Tapes. Oh, it's fucking great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I love that album. Yeah. I'd like to get a copy of that on vinyl, actually. I, I bought it about a month ago. I got it on CD, but it's it's great. Yeah, it's not the yeah. same. Um, and um, so anyway, <clears throat> when we went down to London uh, to to with these meetings we had, we met at that time uh, 12 different record companies responded. Can you imagine that? And... Um, they all hated it, apart from Virgin and Ireland. And they they took, spent some time and said, look, there's definitely something here. You need to go back and write some pop songs, you know, in this format. So we sacked our lead singer. And, and I said, uh, um, we're looking for a new lead singer for the new band, The Human League. And I said, well, this is my best mate from school. I don't know if you can sing. But he got a fantastic haircut. Yeah, um, that that was looked like a star. Yeah, what do they look like? Yeah, and that's what mattered then. So anyway, he turned out to be a brilliant. Um, I mean, you know, somebody who's audition pieces listening to the voice of Buddha saying "Stop your sericulture" wins, right? We only went that far, and we said, "You got the job, right?" Because you look good, and you're completely crackers, right? So. Um, and he freely admitted that being boiled was like a he'd got several religions mixed up. <laughs> it's uh, all the same thing. It's, it's all, all the same anyway. It's all the same. Yeah. So that's anyway, so when he came around to the Human League and we did some more demos, uh we thought, you know, it's a bit like that that story with the lion who's got the thorn in its paw. You know, they were kind to us back then, so we'll give them a shot and I, I'm glad we did because I thought Virgin were the right home for us yeah do you do you feel unusual I mean we're of an advanced age now the pair of us do you feel unusual having this pop tail stretching back not really um ah it sounds terribly uh arrogant maybe not the right word but um presumptuous that's the word but I do think that a lot of what we what we were aiming to do, we were aiming to make it kind of timeless. Uh, we didn't achieve it all the time, but some of the stuff we did work out that way. Um, and so, therefore, it feels contemporary. I love that word, contemporaneous now, some of it. And, and in fact, we're doing a tour in... in um, in November and uh, with Hem 17 and and uh, you know the tagline is 40 years of temptation I'm going fucking hell 40 years man 
It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's yeah. insane. You know, it's the same for you guys. You know, the peak was round about that period, wasn't it? That's I think the peak for us, it, it was a different, it was different peaks in different places. This was the thing. Um, we had a, some sort of career in England until 82. And then we fell out very badly with a producer of Top of the Pops. Oh, not Michael Hill. I think he was the one who had the, the silhouette with sat on a stool with his coat over the shoulder. Oh, that did. I think, can't think of his name. But he, um, I don't know, there's not many people know this story, but I'll, I'll tell it very Please quickly. We, we were um, miming because they, they just wouldn't let you play live on Top yeah. of the Pops and, unless you got a live vocal. And I think David Bowie was allowed a live vocal for Gene Genie. Um, uh, the, I don't think the band's live on that. I watched it yesterday because I thought, God, I haven't seen that for years. And you can you could the, you can hear the drum rolls are not what would no, not what he's, he's playing. Yeah, no, he's not what he's playing. Yeah. So, but I think Bowie is singing live and live harmonica. Anyway, uh, no, you had to do a mime, and we were doing senses working overtime, and. Uh, you know, you, you run through in the afternoon and it's filmed in the evening. It's That's recorded in the evening. It, it's never live, you know. Um, and uh, we we ran through and ran through and ran through and they kept messing up the camera angles and up in the control room. They're hitting the buttons at all the wrong time. I mean, you only have to count to four and then change. Four and then change, yeah. you know. And we started getting really bored with it on, on run through like, two dozen or something, you know, and we're messing around. We're, we're miming in the wrong places. Oh, no. Or we're nowhere near the microphone or, you know what I mean, just we're young blokes just mucking about, you know, we're uh, bored with this. We wanted to play it live, but you're not yeah, allowed. Yeah, yeah, and they can't and, get their shit together. Yeah, right? and then suddenly this, um, I hear slam, this big loud slamming sound, and the cameraman tugs my trousers up on the stage, and he says, oh, you're for it now. It's the producer, and he's been for a very relaxing lunch. Oh, no. And I can hear this, you fucking horrible cunt, you horrible bastard, yeah, I'm oh. going to fucking ruin you. And this exceptionally drunk, and he can barely stand, producers coming down the gantry, bang, 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 bang. Wow. And he comes to the front of the stage, and he's, um, he's uh, what colour is he? Um, Gammon. <laughs> there you go. He's that color. Oh wow! And um, <clears throat> by the way, yeah, he's that color, and uh, he starts going on about you punkers really piss me <laughs> off. Punker? I've never heard that. <laughs> Write That's that very down. Alan Partridge, isn't yeah, it? really. Yeah, you <laughs> punkers really. You know, you never take anything seriously, and uh, and we're we're trying not to giggle, and he's given us a real drunken headmaster telling off. And uh, he said, um, I'm going to make sure you are never invited on this show again. And what's he called? Johnny something. Johnny. Oh, little bell going off. Yeah. Little bell. I remember that logo. Johnny. Yeah. Well, find it out. Yeah, I think it might have been. But he's, he said, I, I'm going to make sure you never play on this. You're never on this yeah. program again. And you did have to be invited on. You couldn't just say, we want to be on. Yeah. You yeah. had to be invited. And uh, you know, from that from that day onwards, people have said to me, "Hey, you got a new single out? Why haven't I seen you on top of the pops?" I just you can't tell them. 
it doesn't and make... And it was in, all interlinked with Radio 1 as well. Yeah. So if you couldn't get on top of the pops, you kind of slipped Yeah, you could try and bribe your way onto Radio yeah. 1, you know. But uh, we had a similar experience with Top of the Pops. That's why I asked whether it was Michael Hill. We, uh, Glenn, on the day before we were due to do the rehearsals in the afternoon, uh, exploded the cartilage in his knee, getting out of a car. And he was in on morphine. He was in the hospital. Anyway, they pumped him full of morphine and we went down to the rehearsals and he couldn't literally stand up. And he said, well, pray my stool, right? And, what the, and we said, and our manager said, this is Valdunican, you know, is, this, is, this is mine. It's a big, you know, energetic number. It's not going to work. And we'd done, we'd made a fantastic video and spent a lot of money on it. It was directed by the guy who directed Gumshoe, what's he called? The guy who's done The Queen and everything. Anyway, spent a lot of money on it. So can't you just show the video? Said so, no, we're not going to show the video. If he doesn't perform, you'll never, you know, you'll never work in this town again. You'll never darken my doilies again. Yeah, and and they never did, and that was the end of our top of the pot career. You see, it all span on drunken whims of power crazy. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. How sad is yeah, that? It's funny. It's funny you should touch on videos because. I detest all of our videos. All of them? Uh, the only one I really liked was the one where we got to say what it was going to be. Right. Because there was a certain female employee at Virgin Records who was the head of all the videos. Uh, her, initial, her initials were TW. And, oh, oh um, I know. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah, say No. And I used to, uh, she'd say, right. Uh, so this is going to be a single, and we never pick the singles. They always pick the singles. We'd mm. say, we want this as the single. they say, no, nope, it's not going to be that this is going to be the single. So and she'd say, um, uh, we're going to do a video, uh, which we ended up paying for. They never, you know, they yeah, they cool. you the money, but cool. they pay for it and they own it. Uh, sorry, we pay for it, they own yeah. it. Yeah. And um, she'd say, what do you want to do? And I'd say, well, I've brought in this storyboard, these ideas, this sheaf of stuff to show you. Oh, no, no, you can't do that. What, what? do you mean? Oh, no, we've we've hired uh, the latest so-and-so company to do it for you, and you'll do what they want. You'll do their concept. Jesus Christ. And, and it was, she shot me down in flames every time. And no matter what idea I came up with, and, and took her the notes or the drawings or whatever, she'd say, no, no, you're not doing that. And she'd find a reason. And it was like, um, I said, I wanted to do one underwater where she said, well, people want to see you playing. And I said, great. So we're playing, we're underwater playing and there's fish and all that shit, you know. And uh, she said, no, electrical instruments near water. You can't do that. It's children's television won't show that. And then bugger me. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm watching Madness Underwater. You know? So, uh, I know the person you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and she shot me down. In fact, I, I even, I even went... A bad person, she was just uh, a corporate... Overzealous. Yeah, overzealous. But you're, you know, what was clear to everybody concerned in the press... All the people I knew at Virgin, all the people in the music industry who admired what you guys were doing, is that you were artistically driven conceptualists. Now, if if ever anybody needs 
to be in control of the way they are presented to the public is people like yourselves, because you have this fantastic uh, kind of universe of meaning uh, and and uh, and and lyrical lyrical detail in the. Oh, no, I've got somebody at the door. I was just going off on one. <laughs> and I was I was enjoying that. Enjoying that, I'm sure you were. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so where was I? Blowing smoke up your ass. Um, yeah, I'll... Um, no, no, but I think it's really important. What what we, we actually had written into our contract, uh, because it wasn't a very lucrative contract... Um, no, ours was very poor. Yeah, uh, looking back on it, but we did have written into it that we had the right, we had the uh, the absolute right to green light or not green light, any way that we were presented graphically, uh, in terms of artwork. Oh, and, you lucky buggers! Yeah. Well, we we knew this was going to be a problem because we as we con we conceived ourselves uh, as a kind of artistic you know entity really not just a pop group so uh, and that, that would have suited you perfectly and and if you didn't if they could turn around to you and say we're not doing that then that's wrong yeah well, it's, it, I ironically I, I won awards for two of our sleeves which virgin tried to prohibit us from having really yeah, and they won awards. Uh, one was called uh, Fossil Fuel, which was a, a CD case, and the, the the black lid of the CD case had an, an embossed um, ammonite fossil on oh. it. So it looked like a it looked like a, a you know a, a single or something, but nice. it was ammonite. And that won an award, and they tried to stop me from doing that, and I bullied and fought and screamed to do that. Yeah. Um, and I know I. They were always stopping our videos. I remember that uh, the ideas I'd come up with, uh, they'd say, no, you can't do that for this reason or for that reason. And then somebody else would go on and do it months later or even years later and then win awards for it. I actually went down to Ardman Animation in Bristol. Really? And storyboarded out uh, a video. And 50 and, and Virgin said, no, you're not doing that. And then 50% of the techniques ended up in Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. So, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So, but anyway, I'm fascinated with artists who, um, who, who have other, other transferable skills, I suppose, is what I call it. You know, the, obviously, you're a graphic illustrator. And uh, you're a hobbyist as well, aren't you? Do you design board games? Uh, I make board games. Um, if oh, here's... You've got some to show us. That'd be good. Uh, here's, here's a funny little one called Louie. And, and what's that, then? Uh, what it is... It looks it, good. It, well, it's... Oh, oh, there go the rules. Um, it's a, a set of bricks which um, you lay out these bricks and... Quite simply, you have to make a whole sun, like um, like Louis the Fourteenth, who was the Sun King. Right. And uh, these, you just have to make that. Would be one point. You know, you have to keep score, but you can really ruin the competition by stopping them making their sun, stopping them from becoming Louis. If you see what I mean. And uh, so that's uh, that was just a little. I, I design them as much for the playability, as the look of it, as the playability. Oh, it's so, so beautiful. I you know, it's kind that. of got this kind of crumpled copper. Yeah, crumpled gold. And stuff. then I, I found a lot of plates 
uh, on things from the 17th century and 18th century and try to to reproduce, you know, for the... He should have made up some uh, completely bogus history that it was invented in the court of Louis the Sixteenth. Ah, there. Well, when I when I achieve world domination, every, uh, every yeah. household will have. Uh, no, I've, that I've, would I've, go well in the Conrad store, by the way. Uh, uh, yes, it would look yes. good in there, and you could charge fifty quid for it. I've got a weird story about the Conrad store. Um, the only time I've ever been in there I was in there with my wife Erica, and. Um, I walked. I walked around, and there was this, like a, a a sort of a selection of walking sticks, and and one of them was was laid on the laid on the, a shelf, and and it had a, a big bulbous head, and and the face was the the head of it was carved into a face, right. And I picked this stick up, and I thought, oh, it's Morris, and I oh, I, Morris. Morrison. No, no. I, I thought I thought the name of this person is Morris. Really? It, like, yeah, it, it like <coughs> spoke to me. What? It, you're like in my head. This this is Morris, and Morris wants me to buy him. I've, I've I said I said to Erica, this stick is called Morris, and I've got to have it. I just felt uh, it was the only thing in my life I felt really, really compelled that I had to have. And she said, "Well, how much is it? Are you are you going to use it?" I said, "Doesn't matter. I just have this is Morris. I know Mar- I know who this stick is. I didn't know anyone called Morris or anyone that looked like that, but it was like in my head saying, you must own me.'" And uh, I said, "Oh, it looks like thirty five quid. Mm, okay, could buy that, you know." And took it up to the counter, and she said, "Oh, that's three hundred and fifty pounds." Oh please. shit. And I thought, no, and it was a microscopic zero written after 35. Oh. 300. So I thought, no, I just, I can't so do it. So Morris was, was never meant to be. No, he was so, he he went back on the shelf. And I, I sometimes think, where is Morris now? Where is Morris? I mean, yeah. I feel the same now. You've- yeah, but have you, have you ever seen something and it said, I'm yours? Yes. Uh, not an object, though. Um, I used to live in Venice for nearly 30 years. I had an apartment there. And um, I've, I pride myself on having walked... I presume you've been to Venice. And- I've, do you know, I've never been. Oh, my God. It's well, one of the anyway. few places I wanted to go and never no, been. No, it's amazing. You should go. Um, and Anyway, uh, go out, out of season, by the way. Go in winter or early yeah. spring or late. Yeah. <clears throat> but... Um, I pride myself on having pretty much walked every street and alleyway in Venice in 30 years. Uh, I made a deliberate effort to anyway. But there was this one street that I went down. I was walking down it and just on my own, just doing my thing. And I saw it, it was a very unique canal. It was, it was a, you look down this canal and it kind of went in a Z, a kind of S shape, like a chicane. Which is very unusual in Venice. Uh, and on the corner of this chicane was this house. And I was thunderstruck by the idea that I'd lived there before because it was such a unique location. And I, I just went, I, I know this house. I, I know this house. And I, was, I, I started accelerating towards it. 
going because in Venice they had beautiful brass plaques with people's names on outside all the bells and everything. I'm going, I'm not expecting it to say where, but it's got to be a clue to something. I've got to find out who lives here. And of course it was nothing. And I've looked into it since and it's just me being stupid. But I had this absolutely all consuming. Yeah. Like a big rush. I was convinced I'd be, I'd, I'd live there. Yeah. Yeah. You got this rush of. Yeah. Past life. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Cause I've got an unnatural, uh, an unnatural empathy for, for, um, for, for Venice. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely, every time I go there, I'm going, not just because I had a place to live there, even before I bought somewhere there, I thought immediately I went there. I've been there hundreds of times that I was, I'm home. That's where home is for me. Weird. Yeah. Have you ever had anything like that? No, not with a, not with a house. Um, as I say, this weird carved stick, which I'm guessing was made somewhere in Africa or or somewhere, uh, and it, it, it wasn't even anybody that I knew that looked like that. It was just as if this inanimate object was talking to me, oh. saying, I belong to you. And uh, I've never had that before or since. So do, you, do you think that you are on, on uh, Asperger's spectrum? Yeah. You yeah. are. Yes. And and because I've done I, I was a very I was just sort of uh, I was a very slow reader at school. I used to um panic um with amounts of print. You know, like the the teacher would say, "Here's here's your here's your book. I want you to read a chapter by the weekend." Oh, right. And uh I I get these incredibly dull, you know, Lorna Dune or Prester John or yeah. sort of shit they'd force on you, you know. Yeah. And I I couldn't do it. I'd I'd be breaking out into a sweat, you know, looking at this mass <laughs> print. If there was a drawing or an illustration, you can kind of crawl up on it and <laughs> rest. And yeah. uh, let me see if I can get any information from this illustration. Really? Because I got all my info from looking at things, not not reading. I I don't think I read a book of my own volition until after I left school. Yeah, yeah. I I was it, kept behind. You first. It's very. It's very. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated with even the terminology of autism, Asperger's, ADHD, all this stuff. I think it's a load of old bollocks. I think. I mean, it's, it, I suppose it's been useful to get us to this point, but I, I genuinely, I've done quite a lot of work with autistic kids, actually in Bath, uh, at this place called Three Way School, which is not far from Swindon. And um, I'm really convinced. We did we designed this sensory room with 3D sound and immersive uh, projections and, you know, like a 4D space for teaching kids and everything. And uh, uh, I was told right at the start that, oh, the kids will get overwhelmed by all this uh, all, all this stuff. And three months later, I visited it, and they're going, it's amazing. There's so many children who have not communicated at all for years who have come out of their shells because of this yeah. experience. Yeah. Anyway. They've been amazed. Out of amazed, but not just amazed considered you know yeah. Like yeah. somebody's thinking of us you know then we're not some kind of victims anyway well the reason i was saying this is because i'm convinced that the nature of creativity is wrapped up 
with the with the spec what we call the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we're all on the spectrum to some degree. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, but it's not generally acknowledged from a you know a, 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 a scientific viewpoint yet. It's still yeah. a very young uh, scientific. Oh, totally. Well, I I, I just think quite quite plainly that anyone creative is fucked up the more creative you are the more fucked up you are and you just have to use the creativity to work it out yeah it's it's your your funnel for your working gift. out yeah and this is my my funnel for this is where i this is how i get out all my fucked upness i shove it down here yeah i can't that's shove a, it down that one i'll shove it down that one i'll that's you know. a great way of looking at it because i i i when I was working with these autistic, I mean, they were going up to like late teens, some of them, and uh, I was working with them, and I, it, com- it, it was so obvious that, that that they have superpowers, you know, a lot, a lot of them, but but and they need to be repurposed. Their their existence needs to be repurposed to make the most of that, you know. And I think yeah. a lot of these TV shows that are on, uh, there's loads of them coming out of Hollywood now, which are all about kids having superpowers, Stranger Things, and you know all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> there's loads of them are, are really addressing uh, subconsciously addressing this issue, you know, because you know it, when I was growing up, I'm sure it was the same way you were. They, it, on our street, there was like one nutcase. There were some people who could barely. Look at you, and didn't yeah. want to interact. And the yeah. people were. Yeah, I still find that I still find that difficult with people now. They think yeah. I'm being rude or disinterested because yeah. I have to. I have to look away and eyes. Yeah, and that's the thing. And uh, I've looked at it through my own children, and I think there's certain elements of it in them. And you know, and my wife is also probably on the spectrum. She was a a, a really successful creative in advertising. And she channeled it through that. You yeah. know, I just find I want um if I am on this earth for anything apart from making music, I would like to in some small way encourage people who feel like they're outsiders and, and the the world's not for them, who have this amazing a lot of the time autistic talent to to be encouraged to make the most of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've got a, a simple kind of um, an ism. If people ask me, I say it's about being selfish and being selfless. You're selfless in your dealings with other people, but you're totally selfish when it's your art. Yes, totally agree with that. If you if you do it the other way around, you'll come very unstuck. You, you know. have to maintain artistic integrity at all times. Yeah, yeah you and have it could to. Be, be... Could be anything. My dad uh, had the grimmest of jobs, apart from maybe being a miner or something. But his relief at the weekends—I mean, he used to go and drink with his mates on a Friday in a working men's club or something. But on the weekends, he used to write poetry, and it was doggerel. It was rubbish poetry, but he had a a, a creative outlet. Yeah. I think people, I'm always saying to people, just do something creative every day. Yeah. Like well, I, I don't know how many people have said to me, they say, watch, I feel I should be doing so. I say, paint. They say, but I can't paint. I say, you can, yeah. you get the paint, brush, and some paper or some board or whatever it is, you stick the brush in some paint and you begin. 
than you are painting from the first second. That's you know? it. And uh, it's where you take it from there is, is how, how do you want, how much of your pain do you want to get out? And a very interesting thing as well, I've done a lot of interviews with DJs and successful. I thought I just interviewed um, uh, Alex Patterson from the All, and uh, uh, but loads of other DJs, and a lot of those kids were quite were kind of bedroom artists, you know. And then when samplers came out and they, they made stuff in the bedrooms, you know, and they were quite. And a lot of them are. Uh, uh, I mean, I can see through interviewing them that they feel quite awkward, you know, uh, interfacing with people directly and. And I'm going, fucking hell. Maybe the, the entire dance scene was really a way for what the, the, the kids who thought they were uncool to become the rock stars. Do you know, it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. I'll I I just reassess that entire period now. Were you much of a dancer? I was always too embarrassed. Oh, I uh, like dancing, but I was never particularly... I wasn't the Northern Song. No, I, I was always too embarrassed to... For, to for me to people to see me dancing and so i tended to look down and be dismissive of dance music or music made to to jump around to i'm not at all that now it's you go ahead with it in fact i've just been just been part of a a, a small uh, trio that's has got an ep coming out shortly called the three club men and i realized we've probably made uh, dance music in advertent, <laughs> you know, and and probably uh, made. yeah, yeah, it's accidentally, <laughs> accidentally. God, this really makes me want to dance. You oh, know? fantastic, man! So it's, it's a new, a new thread of your career. Well, I, I've, I've put, I was, I did have a series of EPs called My Failed Songwriting Career, and what they were, they're four track EPs each time. And I got three of them out, and then I thought, no, you know what? I I think I'm going to put that on ice for a while. Um, and so yeah, I'm always I'm always trying some different things out, things that you want to do, you know. Yeah, you've got uh, you got a, a studio at home, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not anything special. It's the garden shed, really. It's right, a, right. it's a block built garden shed, you know, Perhaps. and uh, does the trick because you. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't need to be in Abbey Road for everything, you know. No, no. And do you um, you do a lot of collaboration? Occasionally, I, I in the latter years, I've got into a lot of writing with other people or for other people. Um, I mean, some of them have been dream jobs. The Monkeys asked me uh, to write some things because <laughs> they did a comeback album uh, which was called uh, Good Times, <coughs> and I, I wrote. Uh, three or four songs for that and they they covered two of them and uh one of them was a single which was very nice called you bring the summer then a couple of years after that they said hey we're doing a christmas album and wow monkeys christmas oh fantastic combo you know so i wrote a half a dozen or more songs for for a christmas record for them oh wow but that was just like one of those boyhood dreams because you you watch them on the telly and you think wow i'll never be at that level you're still um, on the peter talk thing right yeah i guess so you know i can't do that i can't get my hair to go the same way now but <laughs> you know i can i can uh it, it was give me your address i'll send you a wig it's all right it'll be fine yeah I, well what i do now is i just comb my nose 
<laughs> the nasal the yeah, the, the, the ear hair kind of oh, and what an absolute joy this is this is. We've just blazed through an hour there. And I have we? started. Oh man. <laughs> I know it's really Where did good. that go? I know, but, but you know, very entertaining. Um a couple of things before we get to the smash hits type questions. Um I thought I was listening back to Making Plans for Nigel, and it struck me that at the time I kind of equated what you guys were doing with Devo. I think it was a similar place. And it was very quirky, kind of yeah. intelligent. It was it was very squeezed, uh unnaturally squeezed. But we didn't know how to be relaxed. We were nerdy, still are. Um, we were trying to find an identity out of nothing. Right. Um, and, and we were looking for new ways to make the same old pop music. You know, we were looking to, well, let's try some upside down rhythms then. Right. And actually, with Making Plans for Nigel, that, that, Colin brought that up on a nylon stringed acoustic guitar and said, I've got this song, you know, and he was playing and, and it sounded like Julie Felix or some <laughs> funky thing, you know. How did she get her own series? Um, and he played, ah, oh, we're only making plans for night. It sounded like something from the... <laughs> You're on a loot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounded like something from the soundtrack of Trumpton and Chigley or whatever. You know? <laughs> and I said, come on, we've got, to, we've got to take this in a different place. So um, we, all, we all really liked the wrong think of Devo's version of Satisfaction. Where the drum and rhythm, that's what it reminds me of. I'll there you go. I've, I've just divided. there you go. It comes full circle. We yeah. like the fact that he was playing a standard rhythm, da 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 da, da but he was playing it on the wrong oh, drum. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Da boom ding dijap, da boom ding dijap, da boom ding dijap. It was like that's it's a four four rhythm, but it's not hitting the drums you're supposed to hit. So we tried that out. It was like, okay, so what would you do on the hi hat? You're doing ta 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 ta. Okay, uh, stick that on the tom tom. Dum 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 dum. Uh, what would you do on the snare drum? Put that on the bass drum. What would you do on the bass drum? Put that on the hi hat. How you know? brilliant! And it so it made this strange sort of industrial jungle rhythm. Yeah, and I loved um, the guitar sound. Was just. I mean, that sounds very contemporary now to me. Yeah. Well, I was a lazy git, you see, and I love repetitive patterns. Somebody, I, I once read a review where somebody said that he plays guitar like somebody is programming a synthesizer because I loved repetitive patterns. Yeah. I loved Steve Reich and yeah. uh, Glass and, you know, yeah. all these yeah. so-called minimalists. I love that sort of pattern. So I wanted to play guitar like that. So it was a case of me putting... This uh, a, a pattern, sort of Steve Glass type guitar thing, over this wrong think drumming, uh, that made the character of the song. The, the irony is, for me, it, if you'd have transposed that uh, composition into the into the into the uh, uh, digital audio workstation age, and there's every chance that you may well have 
uh, take some little snippets of samples and assemb- assembled it on a because it feels like that kind of grid thing. Yeah, I, 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 I love just played. I mean, I love it, a... But that was in advance of all that stuff. Yeah, well, it wasn't even a click track. Terry was just very good at keeping rhythm. He he was not a fantastic classical rock drummer. He could do all that stuff. But what he was really good at is being like a human programmable thing. You could ask him to do the most outrageous patterns, and he, he, you know, you'd, you'd say to him, "Boom, dia, boom, ding, ba, di, boom, dum, dia, boom, di, boom, ba, right, yeah. And he'd say, "Right, fuck off out there! Give me fucking quarter of an hour. I'll come and get you bastards, and then we'll fucking do it." So he'd send you out. He'd program himself. Then he'd come and get you. You know, right? I'm having this fag, and then we're gonna fucking do it, right? And then, and he got it. He'd got the most outrageous rhythms. And it was like some weird, naive, genius thing. It's such a, it's such, it's such a, 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 an indicative beauty of your music. I mean, well, and that's why, come, that's it why it existed for so long. That's why people love it now because it doesn't so come from such a. It doesn't come from a, a classical music yes, background. Exactly. I, I'm really naive. I don't know the names of most of the chords I play. Well, me neither. You don't need to. No. no, you don't need to. If you can make a, if you can make a piece of music, it's like I do it to like uh, liken it to a car. You don't have to know how a guitar, uh, how how a car it works to drive it really well. And it's like people say, "What you can't you can't read music?" No, you don't know the names of the chords you're playing. No, I don't need to. But if you can emotionally connect with the chord sequences and the way that the rhythm makes you feel and the bass, exactly, then that's all that's necessary because yeah. that's the that's the thing that fine tunes it into something that everybody else will want. And then when you get the confidence that uh, you know your taste is as good as anybody else's, yeah. Well, it's that feeling of pop you- music. It's that feeling that you may have affected someone. Yes. Your naive blundering as you've affected someone. You know, I mean, sometimes, I know this sounds really corny and really stupid, but it's true. I've blundered into chord changes yes. that have had me sobbing. Yes. Think, no, what's this, you know? Completely agree. We're on the same page completely. Yeah. Well, that was a hoot, wasn't it? He's a thoroughly decent and funny and creative guy. We are kindred spirits and we've been through similar experiences together um, as we were both on Virgin in the early 80s. I hope you enjoyed that. It had me, as you could tell, laughing a lot. I don't normally release the video of these things, but he's such a comedian. I'm thinking I might see if we can even do it as a video release as well. I'll have a think about that. Um, how is everyone? Sun's come out. Yay! Amazing. And uh, a lot of gigs coming up for M17. We just announced our tour in November, so go online and buy your tickets because they'll go fast. Uh, it's the 40th anniversary of The Luxury Gap and Tem- Temptation. And we'll be performing the album in full together with a whole bunch of other songs and special stuff that we've not done before. And I think you're going to love it. You can contribute to the Patreon page, patreon.com stroke 
electronically ours. If you want to help uh, to keep this podcast going and free for those who can't afford it. And if you want to send me an email, electronicallymartin with a Y at gmail.com. And uh, we are going to have somebody amazing for you next week. Thank you. Bye. Um, This is a big one from Phil. Hi, Martin. I've just been meaning, I've been meaning to write to you for a while now as I've been enjoying the podcast since day one. But having just listened to the scanner episode, I now feel compelled to finally put fingers to keyboard. Your engineer is so amazing and handsome. I let no, I'm joking. Yeah, he no, hasn't that's written not that. there. <laughs> um, I have listened to all the podcasts apart from the Corbyn one. Not for any partisan driven reason. I just don't want to listen to politicians in the early hours of the morning. That aside, these podcasts are really great. I have grown to appreciate the two blokes lasses in a pub style of interview. It was different at first, but after a few episodes, it became apparent, to me at least, that this is a really cool way of conducting the interviews. It immediately puts the guests at ease, which then translates into more convivial experience. Up until now, I never really had thought of it. I had a favourite episode. They have all been great in their own way, and I have got something out of all of them. The selection of guests is the USP for this production, in my opinion. Obviously, there have been many that I have known and that I have been a big fan of at some point in my life, but there have also been many podcasts with people I did not know existed. No offence meant to those I have not yet experienced. Having just listened to the Scanner episode, I can, I can now say that this is one of, if not my favourite. I had not. No, if not the favourite. Okay, same difference. I had not really heard of him in any detail, and now as I write this, I am listening to and enjoying his music. The smash hit, the smash hit sections are fun, and I know they are popular, and I look forward to that bit also. However, what really pricks my interests is the little clips of music that you would insert. Oh, you here wrote and there. this. This yeah. is your. <laughs> yeah. This is your the, your, your alter ego. Your Phil, engineer right? is so smart yeah, yeah. and handsome. No, mm. no. I am a synthhead and producer, and these little snippets of sonic quirkiness I find brilliant. Brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. Can you tell us a bit more about them? Are they your compositions? If no. so, how about compiling them into a playlist or something? Well, we've done that. Um, yeah, I I make those, and they are in a playlist. Um, we can send it to you, Phil, or it's is available. Is it is it just it's on a, the Patreon? I think it's on the Patreon page, yeah. Yeah, um, it's to try and incentivize you to give us a hand with paying for making these podcasts. But we can send them to yeah. you. Um, I'll just make a note of that. Um, I'm particularly touched by the music that played at the outro of the scan episode. This wonderful and transcendent violin piece was gorgeous. So gorgeous. To wrap it up, thank you, Martin and team, for the initial. Initi- for taking the initiative. Right, back in those darker times and providing such wonderful entertainment and insight into our electronically sonic world. Electronically yours, Phil. That's lovely. Thank you. It's not Phil Oakey.
Thank <laughs> you. 